we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. I am nobody. It's as simple as that. I am nobody. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the archives of the Philosopher's Talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti, and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is Krishnamurti. Upcoming themes are the psyche, measurement and inattention. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our website at kfoundation.org where you can find a growing collection of in-depth articles on Krishnamurti's teachings, along with key topics and a wide selection of quotes. Our online store stocks all available Krishnamurti books and ships worldwide. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review where you listen to podcasts. This helps its visibility. This week's episode on Krishnamurti has seven sections. The first extract is from the first talk in Sanan, 1972, titled, I Know Why I Am Here. I wonder why you have all come. I think that's a good question to ask you. Whether you have come out of curiosity or you have problems that you want to be solved by someone else or you are serious profoundly concerned with the happenings in the world and, being serious, desirous earnestly to solve these appalling and frightening problems that one has around one. So one must ask oneself, it seems to me, why you are here? Curiosity, wanting your personal problem solved, 
seeing the extraordinary things that are going on in the world, the sorrow, the violence, the division of nationalities, political, religious, separative issues. So one must be, it seems to me at least, very clear for oneself why you are all here. I know why I am here. I want to say something very clearly and very definitely. I have spoken for the last fifty years all over the world, except perhaps except in Russia and China, and In observing all these years the state of the world, the state of human beings and their relationship with each other, one sees very clearly that the problem is not only external but much more deeply inward. And without solving the complex inward issues, merely be concerned with the outward phenomenon has very little significance. And I feel, observing all this, that one must take a totally different action, enter into a totally different dimension. Neither belonging to any religion, organized religion, or any country, any politics, totally uncommitted, so that one can look clearly objectively, sanely, at all the phenomenon that is going on around us and within us. That's why I happen to be here. And I, obviously one cannot tell why you are here. It may be out of habit, it's a nice place, Sarnam, lovely mountains, a holiday, beautiful mountains with snow and, you know, all that. But if you are here, and I hope you are, for serious purpose, then we have a relationship with each other.
Otherwise we have no relationship whatsoever. That's clear, isn't it? If you and I are both serious in understanding this whole phenomenon of existence, not only the outward, but also much more deeply inward, and be totally concerned with the resolution of this problem, then you and I, the speaker and you who listen, have relationship. Then we can move together, <coughs> then we can think together, then we can share together. And sharing, thinking together, investigating together and therefore creating together is communication. I hope I am making myself clear. We cannot communicate with each other if you are interested merely <coughs> in trying to solve a particular little problem of your own, which we shall deal presently in later on during these talks, <coughs> or if you are merely curious what that chap has to say from India, with his strange philosophy or exotic nonsense, then I am afraid you and I will have no communication. Because the speaker is not bringing or talking about any particular system of philosophy. Philosophy implies the understanding of truth in daily life, in daily action, which has nothing whatsoever to do with Christianity, with Buddhism, with Hinduism or any country. The second extract is from Krishnamurti's second talk in Ojai, 1981, titled I Am Not a Teacher. Please, I would like to point out this is not an entertainment. Intellectual, romantic, emotional or sensational. We are rather serious, And if you are at all serious too, we can explore together into the nature of this crisis. It's not a crisis somewhere else, it is in our minds, in each one of our minds, in our hearts, in our relationship with each other. And 
crisis, as we said, is in our consciousness. This consciousness is common to all mankind. Wherever you go, man is suffering, uncertain, insecure, lonely, neurotic, depressed, elated, chasing one fad after another, especially in this part of the world. And this crisis is brought about by thought. Thought has put together the content of our consciousness. Please, if I may again point out very clearly that we are not explaining, we are observing together. The speaker is not a teacher. There is no teacher, except in mathematics. Or if you want to be a good carpenter. But in the world of psychology, there is no teacher. And there is no disciple. There is no leader or a follower. We are together observing the nature of man, what has happened to him, why we are like as we are now, violent, neurotic, lonely, terribly uncertain, confused. And to this confusion, the philosophers are adding to it, the religious people are adding to it, the evangelists, the scholars, and so on. So we are learning, or observing, our own state of mind. That's where real education begins. Self-education. We are learned so much from others about ourselves. We're always looking for others to lead us, not only outwardly, but especially in the psychological realm, inwardly. There is any trouble, any disturbance, <coughs> we immediately go after somebody who will help us to clear it away.
were addicted to institutions. We are addicted to organizations, hoping that they will settle our problems, help us to clarify our own minds. So we're always depending on somebody. And dependence will inevitably bring about corruption. So here we are not depending on anybody, including the on the speaker, especially on the speaker. Because there is no intention to persuade you to think in a particular direction, to stimulate you by fanciful words and theories, but rather to observe what is actually going on in the world and all the confusion within. The third extract is from an interview by Roy Tuckman in Ojai, 1983. I was uh, wondering, I'm sure a lot of people are, what, what your, your daily life is. You get up in the afternoon, what, what do you yeah. do on a normal day? What do, you what do I do? I get up around of half past five, get ready and do some, some sort of yoga. Which some of the yoga top yoga teachers in India showed me some of them. So I do that for an hour. This would be hatha yoga exercise. No, no, it's not. It's called a yes. Probably it's not quite hatha yoga. It's some form of yoga. And then breakfast, and then I write or dictate not letters or I'm writing now something or other. And then breakfast, write some more. <laughs> and then bath, mm. lunch, rest and see a lot of people. Of people a, a group of people all the time like that. That's my day. Mm. And it's the same in England, same in India. And you travel, every year you go, you visit these schools in... In India. Not only schools, I go to Delhi, talk to all... You know, I talk all over India. Delhi, near Benares. Then I last, last year, I talked in Calcutta. Then Madras and so on. Then I go back. England, and then I come here. You've been talking for maybe 70 years now? Over 60 years. 60 years. And uh, do you you ever get tired of talking? Does it seem to be a a repetitive ritual to you any time? What do you mean by ritual? 
But you talk um, against the uh, falling into the trap of doing the same thing, the same life yeah. plan. No, this is not a trap. <laughs> I've, I've stopped talking. I've stopped traveling. You have? Uh, I have. So I'm always careful that it doesn't become a habit, mm-hmm. a routine, or a, something that has to be done over and over again. Well, it's something you enjoy doing. Then. No, I wouldn't call it enjoy. It's something that. It's like. Should we put it? Perhaps it is the. You, you do what you, th- what you think is right, without any uh, feeling of getting some kind of reward or self-fulfillment, all that nonsense. So it's because I, it's like a teacher who loves teaching, whether people listen or don't listen, whether they understand or don't understand. It's your, the thing that you're doing, you love to do. It's not a, a rewarding or a self-fulfillment, which will be terrible. <laughs> what do you get your self-fulfillment from? Or is no, a, no, it's not self-fulfillment. But the speaking isn't. The, but is there something that gives you self-fulfillment, or do you no, reject no. the concept? I, I, I reject that totally, that concept, that you derive Fulfillment from talking or painting, or I think self fulfillment is like what? You desire something and get it. Hmm? You fulfill, you have urges and you fulfill those urges. You want to be a rich man. And you strive to be rich. But it isn't at all like that. It isn't the thing on, on the contrary, the, the denial of the self, not self fulfillment. This is rather complicated because everyone wants to be somebody, right? Almost everybody. <laughs> almost, not almost. Oh, you can say practically everyone wants to be somebody, follow somebody, be known, you know, all that kind of business. I'm afraid I'm, I don't belong to that category. <laughs> so it is not everybody, but almost everybody. <laughs> but you already are somebody. You were brought up to be, from an early age, you were brought up to be somebody very special, and you were given very special treatment and, and very special attention, um, and prepared for the, the role of Messiah, which you rejected. No, I think that, no, you see, the word Messiah was given in America, really. Uh-huh. There was the whole idea, you see, that from the when they adopted my brother and myself, there was this feeling that when they found this boy, that one day you'll be a great teacher. 
and I was educated abroad in England and France and Italy. But we had a very big organization of which I was the head, and with castles and enormous pieces of land all over the place, lands all over the place. Uh, we, I returned them all, and I said, this is to be a really religious person. Property is not important. Money isn't important. I have a good friend uh, who said about you that Krishnamurti has given away what most gurus would give their left chakra to get. <laughs> The fourth extract is from the third question and answer meeting in Sanan 1983, titled Krishnamurti's Experiences. From what we read, <coughs> you have had strange and mysterious experiences. Is this Kundalini or something greater? <laughs> and we read that you consider so-called process you have undergone to be something, sort of expansion of consciousness. Could it be instead self-induced, psychosomatic thing caused by tension? Is it is not case consciousness put together by thought and words? Somebody is interested in this, so I must answer it. You are interested in this? Sikoro? Of course, this is much more exciting than desire. <laughs> I wish we would be simple about all this. Kay apparently has had various experiences. They may be a psychosomatic, induced by tension, or pleasurable projection of his own desires, and so on. In India, the word Kundalini has a great meaning. They have written books about it, and several claim they have awakened their skies. I won't go into it all. Don't be mesmerized by what, by this word. A kind of release of energy, so that that energy is inexhaustible. That's the meaning of that word. But it has other meanings and different types of. Just the fact is to awaken the energy and to let it function completely. And so called process may also be imagination and so on. 
Do all these things matter? When he's able to read other people's thoughts, they're experimenting with that in Russia. Andropov can read Mr. Reagan's thought. Or Mr. Reagan can read Mr. Andropov's thought. You have, then the game is over. <laughs> and if, I could, if you can read my thoughts and I can read your thoughts, then life becomes terribly complex and rather tiresome. They have experimented this in Duke University in, Cal in America. They have proved telepathy exists, that thought can control matter, and so on. This is the old Indian tradition. Perhaps Kay has done some of these things, but is this all important? It's like having a good bar. Right? After a hot day, having a good, clean, healthy bath with clean towel and good soap. <laughs> but at the end of it, you're clean. What matters is that you are clean. Right? It put all this at that level. You understand? Don't give this all this importance. It's not important. <coughs> K has been through all this. He knows great deal about all this. Don't wake up suddenly. But he treats all this as not necessary. You, there's the energy which is being misused by us, right? In fights, in quarrels, in pretensions, trying to say mine is better than yours, right? I have reached the, this platform, <laughs> and so on. That is far more important to inquire why human beings behave as they do now. Not all this triviality. This is triviality. We have discussed this matter with all the people, some of the people, who claim all this awakening. You know, you have a little experience, and then you set up shop. You understand? You know what that means, setting up shop? Oh, I have a little experience of this kind, and then I become a guru. I'm in business there. I have disciples, I tell them what to do, I have money, I sit in a, in a posture, and I'm very, you follow? All that tummy rock. So one has to be terribly careful 
of one's own little experiences. Right? But what is important, really important, is to find out sanely, rationally, logically, how you waste your energy by conflict, by quarrels, by you follow fear and pretensions. When the, all that energy which is being wasted is not wasted, you have all the energy in the world. As long as your brain is not deteriorating through conflict, through ambition, through strife, fighting loneliness, depression and all the rest of it which you have gone into. When, there is f- when, the, when the brain is free of all that, you have abundant energy. But if you release some kind of little energy, then you do an infinite harm to others. Right? Is this question answered? Can we go on to the next? So please don't fall into the trap of those gurus who say, I know, you don't know, I will tell you. There are various centres in America, and probably in Europe and India, where one or two people are saying, I have awakened this peculiar stuff, <coughs> and I'll tell you all about it. I'll teach you. You know, you know the good old game. <laughs> it all becomes so trivial. When man is fighting man, the world is degenerating, disintegrating, you are talking about footling little experience. And also the questioner says, is not case consciousness put together by thought? As every consciousness, with its content, is the result of the movement of thought. Right? Your consciousness, with its content of fear, belief, loneliness, anxiety, sorrow, of following somebody, having faiths, saying my country is more highest culture, and all that business, is part of your consciousness. It's what you are. Right? If you are free of that, then you are in a totally different dimension. It's not expansion of consciousness. It is the denying of the content of consciousness. Right? Not expanding, becoming more and more self-centred. The fifth extract is from the second question-and-answer meeting in Madras, 1981, titled 
has Krishnamurti performed miracles? What is your stand with regard to miracles? We are told even you performed what you would normally be called miracles. Do you deny this fact? <coughs> How do you know I have the speakers perform miracles? How do you know? Somebody told you about it? Naturally. And is it very important? In the Christian world, miracles are very important. Right? Jesus is supposed to have performed many, many miracles and that has become one of the factors. Is it very important to, have, to perform miracles? That is, to change something, right? Out of nothing, to cure somebody without medicine, without surgery, without going through all their misery, to heal somebody, which is more important, to heal physically somebody or heal psychologically. You are not interested in all that. You are interested only in miracles that will give you more money. Sir, do you see how sad all this is? How childish all this is? Isn't it very sad what human beings have reduced themselves to, to be so easily satisfied by miracles? Obviously you can produce miracles. What? What's important about it? The speaker has probably healed somebody. All right. Physically. All right. What? Doctor heals somebody. They do. Surgeons heal people, right? You don't give them importance. But a man who does something without medicine, without this and without that, that's a miracle and you're astonished and worship that person. You fall, it's all becoming so childish, immature. So one asks, not what is the fact, but why are we, why have become so childish about all these matters? You understand, sir? You understand the world is going to pieces. You understand? This country, there is such Degeneration. You are degenerating. You understand? 
you're corrupt, you're making things ugly in life. <coughs> to change that is the miracle. Not some silly person doing some kind of tricks. This is the greatest miracle that can happen to a human being to completely change and flower into something extraordinary. That's possible. But you're not interested in that. You want somebody to do everything for you. Nobody is going to help you psychologically. The sixth extract is from the first question and answer meeting in Ojai, 1984, titled Have you designated somebody to carry on your teachings? Have you designated a special teacher or person to carry on your teachings after you are gone? Where? (laughs) Someone is claiming this position. I wonder why he's claiming this position. I know this is happening. I know the various people that are doing this kind of rubbish. But what are they claiming? Why do they want to follow somebody, after somebody? Suppose, not suppose, K is going to die. Speaker is going to die, that's certain, as all of us are going to die. That's one absolute irrevocable fact, whether you like it or not. And fortunately or unfortunately, he has said many things, written some books and become somewhat May I use the word notorious? Notorious? Not as a criminal, but some kind of freak or religious teacher, another freak, or some kind of biological exception. And because of that, a sense of reputation in the world, which is so ugly, and it has no meaning, reputation. Someone wants or feels or uh, thinks himself is going to carry on case work. Why? Probably should very profitable, <coughs> both financially, and then you can say, well, I'm a, I can collect a lot of silly people. 
This is happening in the world. In the church, the apostolic succession, you know, handed down. There have been two in India in a different way. So we all love authority. We all want to follow someone who says, I know. And we are all so gullible. We never say, Look, I I just want to live, I want to find out what you say, what you are, not what you represent or your symbol and all the rest of that, what you are. And you begin to doubt, question what you are. And you soon discover it's nothing very much. So, Kay is saying, the speaker is saying, he has designated no one, no teacher or anyone to represent after he's gone to England. (laughs) Which is going next week. It's all rather silly, isn't it? <laughs> the final extract in this episode is from the third question and answer meeting in Sanan, 1981, titled, Who Are You? Who are you? Is that an important question? Or would you say, who am I? Not who you are, who am I? And if I tell you who am I, who I am, what does it matter? It will be out of curiosity, isn't it? It's like reading a menu at the, win- at the window. You have to go into the restaurant and eat food. But merely standing outside and reading the menu won't satisfy your hunger. So, to tell you who who I am is really quite meaningless. First of all, I'm nobody. Right? That's all. It's very simple as that. I'm nobody. But what is important is who you are. What am I? What are you? When they ask who you are, they are in that question is implied, you are somebody very great, therefore I'm going to imitate you. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you brush your teeth or whatever it is. I'm going to imitate you. 
which is part of our pattern. You understand? There is the hero, or the man who is enlightened, or the guru, say, I'm going to copy everything you do, which becomes so absurdly silly, you understand? Childish to imitate somebody. And are we not the result of lots of imitations? The religions have said, they don't use the word imitate, but give yourself over, surrender yourself, follow me, I am this, I am that, worship. Right? All this is what you are. In school you imitate. Please. Acquiring knowledge is a form of imitation. And of course there is the fashion, short dress, long dress, long hair, short hair, beard, no beard. Imitate, imitate, imitate. And also we imitate inwardly. So we all know that. But to find out who you are, who you are, not who the speaker is, is far more important. And to find out who you are, you have to inquire. You are the story of mankind, which is really a very if you really see that, it gives you tremendous vitality, energy, beauty, love. Because it is no longer a small entity struggling in the corner of the earth. You're part of this whole huma- humanity. It has a tremendous responsibility, vitality, beauty, love. But most of us won't see this. But whereas we are most of us concerned with ourselves, with our particular little problem, particular little sorrow and so on. And to step out of that narrow circle seems almost impossible. Because we are so conditioned, so programmed, like the computers, that we cannot learn something new. The computer can, but we can't. See the tragedy of it. The machine that we have created, the computer, can learn much faster, much infinitely more than I can, than the brain can. And the brain, which has invented that, that has become ultra-intelligent machine, right? Whereas ice, the, uh, the, our brain is sluggish, slow, dull, because we have conformed, we have obeyed, we have followed, there is the guru, there is the priest, there is the rich, you follow? 
And when you do revolt, as the revolutionaries and the terrorists do, it is still very superficial, changing the pattern of politics, of so-called society. Society is merely the relationship between people. And we are talking of a revolution, not physical, but the psychological revolution in which there is no, at the depth, conformity. You may put on trousers, because you're in this country, and you put on, in India's different clothes. That's not conformity. That's, that's nothing childish. But inwardly, not a feeling of conformity. Conformity exists when there is comparison. For a mind to be totally free from comparison. That is, to learn to observe the whole history which is embedded in you 